Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at Bowling bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details you are listening to the relationships made easy podcast with dr abby medcalf change your relationship even if your partner won't do a thing you're listening to the relationships made easy podcast episode 12 Hey everyone, it is Dr. Avi Metcalf coming at you with another podcast. I'm so excited you're here as always. Yes, I am. Today is one of my favorites. I say it every week. I know. I'm sorry. You're sick of hearing it, but it is. This is another one of my favorites. Uh, I have today coming at you the my top five secrets for never fighting with your partner again. How do you like that? Top five secrets for never fighting with your partner again. If you don't want to get in another fight, you... You want to stay here and listen up. And I will say this, that it also get you out of a fight. So for a lot of us, you know, we start with our partners and we're, you know, really thinking, okay, I'm going to have this great dialogue and conversation. It's going to go great. And then next thing we know, we're in it. You know, we're all tangled up in something. And the good news is if you're noticing that you're in it, that's good. You can extricate yourself. So I, sh- I should call this of never fighting with your partner again or of stopping a fight. There you go. So either way. So... You know, I'm going to start with a quote today. Um, This is the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, and this is over 2,000 years ago. Here's what he said. He said, if you are distressed by anything external, the pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your estimate of it. And this you have the power to revoke at any moment. Love that freaking quote. Love it. Love it. Love it. And I love it. Because it puts all the power to me where it belongs, that if you're distressed, if you're upset by anything external, anything outside yourself, it's not about the thing. It's about you, your estimate of it, what you're thinking, what's going on in your head. And you have the power, I love that, to evoke it at any moment, to get rid of it. So, you know, it's, so it's what he was saying is still so true today because you feel the way you think. I talk about this in other podcasts. You can listen to my uh, anger podcast. I talk a lot about uh, the work of Albert Ellis and feeling the way you think, and I'm not going to get into it too much here, but 
basically what I do want you to hear is that what you believe, expect, and think about something leads to how you feel about that something. And this is why two different people can react in two completely different ways to the same event. So you could be in a traffic jam. I use this uh, example a lot. And you can watch people in a traffic jam. One person sitting in their car honking the horn, giving people the finger. They're complaining. They're annoyed. And another person, and this could be in the same car, by the way. This might remind you of you and your partner, maybe. You know, that person's leaning back, turning up the music, grabbing a snack. It's, it's not the traffic that upsets us. It's our beliefs and thoughts about that traffic that upsets us. And this is true for all things, no matter what we're talking about. And I know that there's some scary, horrible things out there that can happen. Death and violence and all kinds of things. But once again, you'll see that there's many people who have uh, had someone they love be murdered. And they act in different ways around it because they have different thoughts and beliefs about it. It's, it's not the act itself, no matter how heinous or horrible, it is you. Now, I do want to be clear that we're not going to get into a blame the victim thing here, that we're not going to get into, you know, if God forbid you were raped or had an act of violence committed against you, that you're supposed to just kind of think yourself out of it and be all right. That is not where I'm going, so don't get your panties in a twist if you started to go there. Of course not. Being upset and horrified and grieving and whatever it is that would match the situation is completely acceptable and and important actually in the process and at some point that needs to shift so if something bad happened to me 10 years ago and it is still running my life that's a problem so that's what I'm talking about okay so believe it or not in the end you can experience pain discomfort any kind of upheaval without becoming angry hopeless anxious, you know, insert your favorite suffering here. In the end, it's your perceptions and expectations that make you unhappy. So when we experience unpleasant or what we call often negative emotions, I don't like you to think of them as positive or negative, as I've said before, but if you, anything unhealthy, you know, when we experience things as unpleasant or negative, though, we want them to go away. Of course we do. We tend to avoid the bad stuff and the yucky feelings. And as we try to avoid, we shift our thoughts and attention outside of ourselves and on to another person or the larger environment. So in other words, you start to unconsciously blame external things and people instead of looking at yourself. I know. So you got to really realize that and realize that you do it. So in the end, you're basically as happy as your expectations. Now, I talk a lot about how it's important to keep your standards high, but your ex expectations low. Most people have this backwards. They have crappy standards and will accept all kinds of unhealthy behavior from just about everyone, but then have these high expectations and feel let down when they're not met. I actually have a really nifty, I think it's like a three minute video about this um, that we'll link to in the show notes if you want to see more on high, high standards and low expectations. Uh, but basically, if you've ever been disappointed or frustrated, your expectations were too high in that situation. Isn't that the definition? Think about it. Of, of, an expectation when it's not met, uh, is it disappoints us, it frustrates us. And I'm sure if you looked up disappointment in the dictionary, it would say expecting one thing and getting another. It's pretty much what disappointment is. So 
what I want is for you to hold your standards in a high place while not expecting other people to meet them 100% of the time. You just can't. You, it's not going to work that way. It doesn't work that way. People can't be robots. So I expect my man to treat me with respect. Absolutely. Does he occasionally come home in a bad mood? Does he occasionally not treat me maybe com- with what I would consider complete respect? Sure, because he's human. Does that happen often? No. No, it doesn't. It happens very rarely, which is the reason we're still together. <laughs> uh, so, you, you know, think of your standard and then really just make sure it's met most of the time. And it's your job when it's not met to, to remind other people of your standards so that it can change as we move forward. Now, another reason you might get your panties in a twist or, or suffer stems from your perceptions. So your expectations are one and your perceptions of the other. So we tend to think we're right about something and so sure about the facts, but there are many ways to look at any situation. And you've seen these, you know, the old adage, like if five people saw a car accident from five different vantage points, they, it's likely they'd have five different accounts of what happened and whose fault it was or how, you know, exactly what went on. Everyone might be sure that they're right, but it's really only their perception of what happened. So I want you to keep these two things in mind, these, you know, high, high standards and low expectations and this fact that your perceptions, what you think is there, does, isn't necessarily there. I want you to think, keep those things in mind as we talk about these five secrets that will help you avoid fights with your partner. Okay, so I want you to just have that as the backdrop as we jump in. And we're going to really jump in today and and we're going to move it right along. So, all right. So tool number one, secret number one is I, this is the old, this is correct or effective. That's what I call it. And if you've heard me talk before, you know, I talk about this a lot because it really is at the core of so many of the relationship issues I come across. And it is at the core of your unhappiness most of the time. It really is. And this is the old happier right. Remember people used to think, uh, used to say, would you rather be, do you want to be right or happy? And I used to ask clients that, hey, do you want to be right or happy? And they would invariably say, well, I want to be both. So I stopped asking it that way. And I started asking this correct or effective. Do you want to be correct or do you want to be effective? And this is what I want you to ask yourself the next time you're in some sort of disagreement or struggle with your partner. Do I want to be correct or effective? In other words, think about it. What's your end game here? What is your end game? What do you want to happen at the end? So you can be correct all day long that your partner left his dirty socks in the middle of the floor again, but do you want to fight about socks or do you want to have fun watching Game of Thrones? You're going to have to think about what that is for you. So, and by the way, think about this. <laughs> you, he, maybe he's left his socks. I'm using the socks, okay? He's maybe left his socks on the floor over and over and you have discussed this, let's say, over and over and you end up feeling maybe like a bitchy nag. Uh, and men can feel like a bitchy neck too. If this is the other way, if it's your if it's your woman who's leaving socks on the floor, but if you're doing it over and over, is that effective? Are you getting what you want? So what my goal is is to not have socks on the floor. That's my goal. So and to have them not on the floor and not argue about it, right? If you really think of the whole goal, that's the entire goal. Well, is nagging about the socks number one working? Is it effective? No, socks are still on the floor. If you have to ask more than once, it's not working. And number two, 
are you there without an argument or stress? Well, no, because you're feeling stressed, you're frustrated, you're fed up with asking about the friggin' socks on the floor. So I will tell you, number one, that you really need to think this through. Now, I had a couple who came to me um, just a little bit ago now, and I love this couple, but the um, husband worked from home, and he loved these root beers. And he used to drink them during the day at home, these bottled root beers, loved them. And he would always put the bottles in the recycling. However, he would hit, you know, take off the cap, those like ones you need a, a can op a opener for, a bottle opener for. He would put the, leave the caps everywhere. And the wife was saying to me, it makes me insane. These caps are all over the house all the time. He just, wherever he is, wherever he takes off the cap, he just leaves it. So he remembers, to, he has the bottle with him, right? He carries the bottle around, but he doesn't take the little cap and throw it in the garbage or throw it in recycling or wherever it's supposed to go. And this has been driving her nuts for a while. And she's been begging and asking and talking. She put little garbages everywhere. She put bowls around. She tried all these different things and no dice, no dice with the bottle caps. So, you know, this is, became a huge point of contention between the two of them. And I mean huge, enough that they, she was really fed up and feeling like she didn't want to be in this marriage. Now, it sounds crazy, right? It's bottle caps. But you know, you have bottle cap in your, in your relationship. You know you do. You have that where you're going to die on the hill for this, you know, thing, the toilet seat up or down, the cap on the toothpaste, the leaving the carton of milk out, the whatever it is, you, you're going you're gonna to just take one for the team because this is such a big deal to you. And I'm not saying you don't have the right to think it's a big deal. And so that's fine. You're correct all day. You have this right. That's fine. You're correct. The milk should be put away. The toilet seat should be left in the up or down position, whatever you agree, you think is right. Yes, you should put the cap back on the toothpaste. These could all be correct, but are you effective? Number one, is it happening? This thing you want, is it happening? And number two, really what I hope part of your effective plan is, is that the two of you get along that you have a harmonious relationship without a lot of crap in there. And if you're arguing about this stuff all the time, and if you, if your person finally, you know, puts away the, does throw away the bottle cap, but does it every time snarling at you and thinking, ugh, my wife is so uptight, I have to throw away these bottle caps. Oh, I don't want to get her upset again, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Is this a happy marriage? No, this is a problem. And I would say, don't die on the hill over the bottle caps. So. And what I did with this couple is I did, I asked her, I said, so what is it about the bottle caps that's got you, your panties in a twist, you know, got you so upset? And she said, you know, it's like he thinks I'm his maid, you know, I'm running around after him. And it's just rude. He's leaving these things everywhere. Who does he think cleans them up? It's me. Now, when the kids are, were littler, this literally went on for this many years. Now, when the kids were, were smaller, she was upset because they were choking hazards and he was leaving them around. And she felt like the kids could pick them up and put them in their mouth. And by the time I met them, their kids were older. They were like five and seven. So this was not no longer a choking hazard issue. And <laughs> so Lily's been going on for years. It, but, you know, she'd gotten it in her head how right this was, even though really the original reason why it was such a big deal wasn't there anymore, that, again, she was just ready to she wasn't quite ready to leave him over it, but it's, it was close. I mean, they were really into huge epic battles about this. And so as I spoke to her, I talked about this, correct or effective. So first of all, what you're asking, is it effective? No. And when I talked to him, it was clear to me 
he denies this and denied it at the time, but it seemed pretty passive aggressive to leave these around after a while when she's so upset about it. Like, how could you not notice, right? But he swears, you know, he's a techie dude and he swears he just, his brain didn't work that way. And he, he did sometimes throw them away. It wasn't like he never did. He just didn't do it consistently at all. And he would go through quite a bit of root beer every day, apparently like three or four bottles of this stuff. So there was always three or four caps a day. So even if you remembered one or two, there was still a couple lying around. And when you multiply that by every day, he had quite a habit. Um, you know, you have quite a few bottle caps. So, and I finally just said to her, you know, well, what's your end game? You know, we really talked about that again. And I talked to her about how else could you look at this? So th this is getting back to the perceptions argument. This perception that it was he was treating her like a maid when he did clean up the bottles he he put those in recycling so he wasn't oh and I said are there other things are there and of course again there was the occasional dirty sock and there was some you know missing the hamper with his clothes and you know maybe when he cleaned the kitchen he didn't do it as well as her and there was this kind of stuff and I you know but again is this really important people is this really where we want to draw the line in the sand. And so I spoke to her about the fact that, you know, he worked very hard. He's, he did work a lot of hours uh, at this tech company. He made really good money. She did not have to work. And she was home, you know, raising their kids. So she did have to work. She was raising kids. But you understand, she didn't have to work outside the home also. And uh, they had money to vacation and to buy the kids everything they needed and, really, and more and wanted. And uh, I said, you know, is there a way to look at it? of you just being of service to him, you know, change your perception, right? Change the perception of how you're seeing the situation. And just th what if you just thought to yourself, you know what? It is my pleasure to clean up the bottle caps. He does not think I'm the maid. He loves me. He supports me. We're a team. What if part of my team action is that I clean up these stupid bottle caps, which by the way, she saw all the time. She was always picking them up. So you're already picking them up. How long does it really take to pick up a bottle cap? If you really changed your perception about it, could it be different that there wasn't a fault, that it wasn't on purpose, any of that stuff? And that's, by the way, exactly what she did. And we ended up, there was a lot more, you know, other issues to work on in this marriage. But at the end of her therapy, uh, I, I do goals often with couples. And at the end, we sort of went back to these goals. And she said, wow, I can't believe that was a goal when I came in, that that was like my big thing that we, we somehow came to the you know conclusion about these bottle caps that he realized he was wrong and started cleaning them up. That was her agenda coming into therapy. And it really changed as she started to get to the deeper issues and what was really important. So correct or effective, that is my number one uh, tool secret for never fighting with your partner again. Get out of being correct and instead get into being effective. What's your end game? What do you want at the end? Okay. Number two, say yes first. One of my absolute, again, favorite tools. This one's great. I'm giving you top tools. So that's just, let's just say that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So arguing, dismissing, or denying is not the way to stop an argument. So if your partner is telling you how horrible their day was and you say, oh, it isn't that bad, or I told you yesterday you shouldn't have gotten to work today, you weren't feeling good, you're going to piss off your partner. That's, it's dismissing what they're saying it's, or denying it, right? You're creating something you don't need to create here. Instead of them just being upset about work at that point, they're now going to be upset with you because of the reaction you're having. And you, as you're listening, you're thinking, oh my gosh, that happens to me. I know exactly what she's talking about. Why is that? So instead, what I want is for you to empathize first. And I, and what I, and I call this say yes first. So what you're doing is you're going to match, you're going to match the emotion you hear coming at you. So in this case, it's an easy one. You can say, oh, I'm so sorry your day sucked. Or I hate that you had a bad day. Don't you hate that they had a bad day? I don't like when my partner has a bad day. I feel terrible. I, I don't want, and I also don't like it because he's not necessarily going to be in a good mood if he had a bad day. So these are easy things to say, aren't they? They're so real. I'm sorry your day sucked. Aren't you? It sucks when their day sucks. You, you love this person. Aren't you sorry their day sucked? So saying something like that, and in therapy, we call these process statements. How do you like that? We have fancy words for them. Uh, and it's what it is, what therapists are trained to do. So if someone comes in and they're, you know, talking about something, our job often is to empathize, is to sort of hone in on the feeling of what's really going on under everything and just match it and just say it like, oh, wow, that, that yeah, that sucks. Now, I will say I want you to match emotion, but not tone. Okay, emotion but not tone. So this means I, if your partner's coming at you with, uh, you know, oh my God, I have this, gosh, I've got this woman at work, she's driving me crazy, I hate her, oh, I think I'm about to quit. And, you know, your partner's really upset and really even yelling or raising their voice and all that. You do not, you want to match their emotion, that, that anger, that frustration, that overwhelm, but not the tone. Their tone is really excited. You don't want to, say anything back that's going to make it worse or it's going to feed the fire. So you certainly don't want to say, oh my God, again? Oh, that's horrible. Oh, I can't believe your boss is such a jerk. Oh, God. You Don't do that. Stop that. Instead, you again want to just match the emotion, what you heard, but no, and again, keep the tone cool. Don't keep the tone too low. You want to have a little energy behind it, but keep the tone right there. This works, by the way, with children too. You know, when they're freaking out about that math test, I've got teenagers, you probably do too, if you're listening or you have kids and you know, they're acting like the, the math test is the be all end all and they're just going to die. And so when, you know, my, my boy, let's say is, is freaking out, oh, look at all this work. These teachers give us too much. They don't teach right. I don't even know. Da da da. Right? Really upset. Uh, the worst thing to do would be go in there and say, it's okay. Hey, you did well in the last math, te math test. It's going to be fine. Do you see that? That's dismissing. I know we think we're being nice. We think we're kind of placating and making people feel better. That's dismissing. Or, we, or saying, you know, it's, you know it's going to be fine. You always do well in the tests in the end. Denying. Right? I'm denying 
his experience, saying it's not going to be what he thinks, or in any way arguing, or I could say, you know, you complain every time you have a math test. It's, I'm, I'm tired of it. You know, just stop already, right? Any of those responses, no bueno, no good. These are not good responses. You're arguing, dismissing, or denying. Instead, again, I can match his emotion, but not his tone. So maybe I could say something like, um, Oh man, that sucks. Wow. Yeah. You got another math test. Ooh, nine chapters. Yikes. That's a lot of chapters. Let me see. Let me see the book. Ooh, how many from what page to what page? Do you see that? There's a real come. And by the way, the second you do this, the other person calms down. They immediately just calm. They, they feel you. You're there, there with them. They, they feel that rapport. They think that you understand how bad it is and they feel they feel better. They feel calmer. They feel soothed in some way. And that's really, if you want to get to correct or effective, it, I could be correct that it's ridiculous for my son to be freaking out about a math test like it was, you know, the end all be all, but it's not effective. Uh, hopefully effective is that I'm, a, I'm what I think is a good mom and I'm giving him nurturing and love and he still has to do this work. <laughs> so, you know, kind of helping him hang in there to do it. And then at that point, you can do some problem solving, which is great. So you can then, you know, after your person is calmer, you can definitely get into a, a different kind of conversation with them. And that's actually going to lead us into my secret number three for never fighting with your partner again. But I'm going to get there in a second. But so saying yes first, matching emotion, but not tone. And just whatever they're saying, just parrot it back in some way that's honest and true and by the way, I want to say this really clearly. Saying yes first does not mean that you agree with what the person is saying. That's usually the biggest argument I get from people. They're, they're saying, well, I don't want to hear about uh, Barb at work again. I'm so sick of my partner complaining about that guy at work. I'm so over it. And I, I don't want them to think it's okay, so I'm not going to do this. And I tell them, no, you really, this is especially when you need to do this. They've been complaining over and over because they think you don't get how bad it is. And because you've been arguing, dismissing, or denying in some way. So they think you don't understand. They want, we all want to be understood. Men too. Don't, don't be thinking that's only for women. So everybody wants to be understood. They want to be heard. They want people, they want to think that people understand what they're going through. And that's really your job at the end of the day is to be there. And again, that's effective instead of correct. So, okay. So our tool number one, correct or effective. Tool number two, say yes first, match emotion but not tone. Tool number three, secret number three for never fighting with your partner again is to, drum roll please, don't sack and instead ask questions. Okay. So sacking your relationship, worst thing you can do just like in football, don't sack. <laughs> and that is SAC, S-A-C stands for don't suggest, don't offer advice, A, the S is suggest, the A is advice, and the C is do not ever criticize. I know, those are the ones. So don't suggest, offer advice, or criticize. Now, people often will stop and go, huh, well, then what am I supposed to do, Abby? I don't, I don't understand if I don't do those, what's left? What's left is asking questions. You got it. Asking questions. That And very specifically, I want you to ask what's called collaborative questions because you want to help move the conversation forward. Now, let me talk to you about questions for a minute. 
So questions are awesome because they actually get us to use a, a part, a different part of our brain. Very, very important. As soon, if I asked you a question right now, um, what'd you have for dinner last night? All of your attention goes to that question right away. You immediately start to go figure it out. What did I have? I don't know. You, you start to think there. We cannot multitask. Humans cannot multitask. There's a ton of research on this. I, I'm not even going to get into it right now. I will in a later podcast, I, pro I promise. But right this minute, I'm just letting you know it's impossible. We uh, can only attend to one thing at a time. So when our attention is focused on one thing, we stop attending to the other and we, we go to this new thing. So when I ask you a question, especially if you're upset or in that kind of emotional part of your brain, we call the amygdala, uh, this other part of your brain that's really like your reptile brain, your emotional brain. When I'm in those emotions and I'm getting upset and it's all churning up and you ask me the right kind of question, I want to be clear, it has to be the right kind. What happens is I focus on the question like that. Like, what'd you have for dinner last night? Uh, I, I go, hmm, what did I have? And I have to start thinking. And it pulls me away from that emotional center of my brain into the rational center of my brain. Isn't that nice? I know. Really cool, right? So immediately I start to shift all that stuff that's going on. And I start to shift it into this other part of my brain. Really important. Now, what did you have for dinner last night is an open-ended question. There's closed-ended questions and open-ended questions. And you want to ask open-ended questions as much as possible because the closed-ended ones can, first of all, they don't get you anywhere. And second of all, it can start to feel like an interrogation. And, we do, and those are the wrong kinds of questions to ask. We don't want interrogation. Closed-ended questions are any questions that can be answered with good, fine, yes, no, or the dreaded shoulder shrug. Mm. I don't know. You can see me shrugging my shoulders, can't you? I don't know. So, anything like that? Not th those are bad questions. Bad questions. They don't lead anywhere. They don't help us. They don't get us anywhere. And you know, because you've done this. Hey, uh, I've asked my kids, and even I, who know all this, I ask the crazy question. I go, "What did you do at school today?" What's their answer? Nothing. Right? Asking my partner, "How was your day?" Fine. See the problem there? These are closed-ended questions. They do nothing to further the conversation, to open up dialogue, to move things around the brain. We can answer them on autopilot, when, and that's what we're doing. It's a throwaway question. You might as well not ask it. It's a waste of your time. Talk about correct or effective. This is nothing. This is not effective. If this was your job, if my job was knowing how my kid's day was, right, that was my job. Let's say I got paid for that. If I actually, that kind of, it is my job, right? I <laughs> mean, if it was a paid job where I got paid and I was rated on how well I did this job. And the only question I ever asked was, how was your day today? And I got that same crappy answer, I would get fired. There's no doubt in my mind. I certainly wouldn't be at any promotions or raises, I'll tell you that right now. It sucks. It's a bad way to go. So instead, we want to ask these open-ended questions. And they teach you, you know, if you've ever uh, had a little kid go through school, there's these different programs and they'll tell you to ask like, what was your favorite thing that happened today? Uh, name, what was the worst thing that happened today? They call it, I think, roses and thorns or something. Um, what was really funny that happened today? What was the funniest thing that happened at school? You know, this kind of stuff. You ask these questions that cause a person to go in their head again, leave the emotional seat of the brain, go into the rational place of the brain and think, go into those memories and go, huh, what was my best part today? What was my worst part? And sort of play the day over and you actually get some information. Um, you know, 
Tell me three things you learned in math today, whatever. Uh, you can actually get some very specific answers because people have to go there. And again, it pushes the conversation forward instead of closing it down. And the same thing when your partner gets home. It, you know, how was your day? Fine. You know, what, what happened today at work? Nothing. You know, that kind of stuff. As opposed to, um, you know, and you can use a kind of do a say yes first even and make a process statement of some sort like, Oh, you seem in a great, you seem energized after work. Did something really great happen today? Or, you know, anything like that. Or is there anything I can help you with? Uh, what do you, what do you think about X? You know, the, what do you think about the, the merger that's happening at work? What do you, you know, something that shows some interest and shows that you've been listening. <laughs> and again, opens up a conversation and gets things to move. So, I, you know, my favorite question probably, so if you're going to think of some questions you could ask to do this is, um, you know, how can I help you with this? If someone comes to you with a problem, that's one of my favorites. So, uh, and sometimes people will say when you ask, so, you know, maybe your partner's been complaining about somebody at work and you, and you ask, well, how can I help you with this? Is there anything I can do? And they might say, uh, no, there's nothing you can do or nothing. And my favorite thing to say after that is if I, if you had a gun to your head, and you had to tell me one thing I could do to help, what would it be? Boom. Right? That's great. <laughs> and I, I know we have to threaten people, right, to get them to tell us how we can help. But it, that's one of those things that can really help. Let's say you're in, you're in one of those yucky conversations with your partner. And, you know, you, they're reacting to what you said. You can say, hey, what did you think I meant by what I just said? Or what do you think your next steps should be or our next steps should be. How, I'm realizing we're stuck in this argument. How do you, what do you think, what could I say right now that would make it better? What's the one thing I haven't said that you would like to hear come out of my mouth? What do you think I'm missing from this conversation? What do you think I don't understand about what you're telling me? Do you see all these questions? Guess what? This person's going to tell you lots of stuff. Now, you might not like the information they tell you, but that's not what it's about. It's about moving the conversation forward, opening up, and having this person feel understood, having them feel like you have their back. Ever so important. Okay. Number four. We're almost at the end here. Here we go. Number four is halt. Now, I took this from, um, as many of you know, I'm recovering, uh, I'm in long-term recovery um, from drugs, and um, uh, there's something that we talked about in the rooms and 12-step meetings that's very common, and it's, and it's called HALT. It's called this, but, I, you know, there's always good stuff that we learn in 12-step meetings that really apply to the rest of the world that, for some reason, not everybody knows. So this is one of those I like to take out of the rooms and into the world, and HALT stands for... Never get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So if you're in an argument, notice if you're agitated because you're hungry or feeling maybe rejected, maybe, maybe meaning kind of lonely. Do not have a conversation when you are truly pissed off. I'm going to talk about when to have that conversation in a minute and our tip number five and our secret number five. But for now, when you're super angry, that old saying, you know, never go to bed angry is total bullshit. 
That's totally BS. It's way better to go to bed angry than to stay up all night, completely exhausted, trying to have a meaningful conversation. Do not have these conversations at 11 o'clock at night. It makes me nuts. I have so many couples who end up having these deep conversations at 9 or 10 or 11 or 1 in the morning, and this is not a good time for anyone. I don't even care if you're a night owl. This is not the time to have that conversation. It is a very, very small percent of the population that this would be a productive conversation for. And I would say all of, no matter who you are, it would mean that you got up maybe at 2 o'clock that day, you slept until 2, then I'm going to give it to you. If you got up at any time in the morning, do not be having this conversation 14, 15, 16 hours later. You just don't have it in you. So never get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, and don't allow yourself to be in these conversations at that time. So a lot, a lot, a lot of couples have arguments because they're not listening to these rules. And sometimes, uh, I've got, you might, this might have happened to you, I have couples who fight a lot about like where to go eat dinner. And it's usually because both of them are hungry and they're tired. They're usually a couple of these, right? And they're frustrated. It's been a long day. And then we have to decide dinner. It's like exhausting. You just want your partner to decide and have it be done. So <laughs> really think about all these kinds of things and set up your day in such a way that you don't get into this trap. If you really need to talk to your partner about something, make an appointment, make a lunch appointment with them, go see them at work, do something else, save it for the weekend in the morning, do something else. But, you know, having it at midnight is not a good idea. You're not going to get where you need to go. And if you are angry at night and you feel like, well, I'm not going to be able to sleep because I'm so angry, so I have to, you know, resolve this. First of all, you're not going to resolve. It just doesn't get resolved. It, it, and you know, I'm talking and you know, like, oh, yeah, it really doesn't. It's better to, you know, take some melatonin and go to sleep. I don't know what to tell you. Like, do something else. Figure out a way to go to sleep so that your brain will finally shut off. Keep pulling your brain away from all the craziness and the argument. Take some deep breaths and get some sleep. It's really important. Drink some warm milk, whatever works for you to go to sleep. Uh, do that. In the morning, things often look brighter. And a lot of times you realize it was a silly fight. Because you were having it when you were hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. <laughs> and so it wasn't even something worth talking about. Okay. Number five, we're getting the last secret to never fighting with your partner again. And this is what I call timing and tone. And you know how sometimes you can't wait to tell your partner how wrong they were? <laughs> you know how sometimes you're waiting, you're like, oh, yeah, I can't wait till he comes home. I'm, oh, I'm going to give it to him. If you just can't wait to tell them your side of something and convince them of how right you are, remember correct or effective, notice how it's here again, then I'm telling you it is not the right time to talk to them. Yeah, you got to wait. Yeah, I say wait. When you wait, also known as changing your timing, your tone will naturally change to something calmer and more inviting. And likely you're going to choose some healthier or nicer words, which will be much better received. So wait until later today or tomorrow to have that conversation about why you were upset. So again, this is correct or effective. Before you say anything, though, you've got to ask yourself these questions. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. How do I want the other person to feel at the end of this conversation? And maybe more importantly, how do I want to feel at the end of this conversation? These are super important because this really lets you know if this is the right time. 
how do I want the other person to feel at the end of this conversation? If you would like them, you know, a lot of times we're saying things passive aggressively. We're, we, we, they hurt our feelings now. We want to hurt theirs. If that's your goal, that's not very effective. It's really not. It, you can be correct, you know, oh, they have no right to come home that way or to be this way or they're telling me something and I don't like it. That's great all day long. But you know what? It's not effective. And again, to me, well, it's effective if you really just want to piss them off and have a crappy marriage. Good luck to you. But it's not effective if you want to have a happy, confident, connected relationship. Now, I will say the danger with waiting is that what happens for some folks is that later, you know, when the storm is passed and you're getting along with your partner, you're thinking, well, I don't want to go back and tell them how they pissed me off earlier. I don't want to open that can of worms again. So you let it go. And you end up letting it go over and over and over again. That's a problem. Do you see what can happen there? So it is important. And it's actually the best time is to do something at a different time. It's the best time when you're in a good mood, I mean, when, when things are going well. That's a really good time to have a, a harder conversation. And a great trick for this, a great, great trick for this, one of my favorite little tips is ask the person before you get into it. When you ask permission, it just sets up the conversation so differently. And you got to wait for the response. So you might say, hey, you know, I really wanted to talk to you about something from earlier. Is this a good time? Is it okay if I give you some feedback about our conversation earlier? Those kind of questions. Those are questions you can ask. And the person will either say yes or no, but you've got to wait for the answer. Don't just barrel on after you ask. You, and really, and if they don't give you an answer, if they just sort of look at you, say, is it? You know, tell me yes or no. And really get them to, to be part of it and to take responsibility themselves by saying yes. Yes, is, now it's a good time to have this conversation. And again, notice that your tone will change. It's, it's not excited and upset. And you're really in a different headspace to have the conversation. I will say if your partner, let's say, comes home in a bad mood and they don't normally come home in a bad mood, I would let it go. I would choose not to say anything right then and I would let it go. Why not? Doesn't everybody get a mulligan or two? Let them have it. Just let them have this grace in the relationship. However, if your partner always comes home in a bad mood on Tuesdays, like every Tuesday is hell, then yeah, you have to say something because it's going to keep happening. And here's the most important part. I feel bad for your partner. If Tuesdays clearly have some terrible thing going on that would probably be very helpful to talk about and problem solve. So again, when they first come home in that horrible mood, it's not a great time to talk about it. They're not going to want to. They're very involved in their emotions. They're probably hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. You know, all these things. So this is not a good time. It's instead a time to just, you know, sort of be there, be supportive in any way you can. You can ask a question. Is there anything I can get for you? Is there anything that would make your night easier? These are lovely questions to ask our partners. Uh, and it really, especially when people are in a bad mood, I'll tell you, I've had a lot of clients tell me, and I know it's worked for me myself, though, the partner will sort of go, huh, what? Like, kind of come out of the bad mood for a minute because it's a question they just weren't expecting. They're almost expecting us to act crappy back. And when we don't, it really shifts some of the energy. Now, I'm not saying kiss someone's ass who's treating you, you know, poorly in a moment, but I am saying, Again, if it's not a common thing to have a you know high standard but a low expectation, we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, is to just let them have a little grace and you know hold your standard and you can remind them of your standard later. But for now, give them give them this time, give them this room, uh, and you know kind of go from there and really feel it out from there.
So, okay. So today was all about my top five secrets to never fighting with your partner again, which were, would you rather be correct or effective? Learning to say yes first, asking questions, but the right kind and not sacking your relationship, but asking collaborative questions that move the conversation forward. Focusing on halt, never getting too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And finally, watching your timing and your tone. Those are the top five secrets to never fighting with your partner again. I have all this on a lovely little uh, one-page uh, quick sheet that you can have. You can go to the website. Just go to abbymedcalf.com forward slash podcast. And uh, today's podcast was the five secrets to never fighting with your partner again. And you can go right there, look in the show notes, and there'll be a link to download the copy of the top five secrets to never find your partner again all on one little page. And you can share that with people. You're always free to share uh, what I send, or you can have them come and get it for themselves if you feel like that's helpful. And that's it. Have a great day. Use your tools, and I'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Thanks for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast at www.abbymedcalf.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.